pretty hot still. Maybe that's just my voice. Well, thank you so much for praying for me. I mentioned that last week, but I spent nine days in the hospital earlier in the month. And uh, um, I know many of you prayed for me. Uh, I'll talk more about that because actually it kind of applies. I've got an important lesson for me as it relates to the scripture that we're going to talk about today. But I'm very feel, filled emotionally, but still kind of recovering energy-wise, and I just don't want to fall over in front of you. So I'm going to sit here and, and uh, see how this rolls out. So we're in this same, uh, this James series right now, and uh, <clears throat> I think today is super important to understand James. And if you look at the first chapter of James, um, there are some themes in there. And if you can understand those themes and put those themes in your thinking, it's going to help you interpret and understand all the rest of the book of James. James is considered the, uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you want to know how to do practical living, you read James and he'll tell you what to do and what not to do, right? Well, what it says in the first chapter is essential for interpreting all those things about faith and deeds and um, favoritism and prayer and everything that's going to say, you're going to need to know these themes. And I think James wrote it that way. So, because, you know, you were supposed to read the book as a whole. We're breaking it out over these couple of months so that you can go deep. But uh, if you read it as a whole, you'd read that first chapter. And it starts out, like Daniel did last week, with trials. And it says, consider that. Remember, consider, I, you choose how you're going to walk in this trial. And you're going to need the rest of the book was your, to have that in a part of your thinking. Super great message. You've got to... You've got to have that to understand the rest of the book of James. Well, <clears throat> today, uh, now James, of course, had intended it to be read all at once. And as you were talking about trials, then it talks next about wisdom. And so today, I want to talk about wisdom and give you what I think is the James perspective on it. A little different. Now, Merriam Webster, he says, or they say, whoever they are, that uh, definition for wisdom is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, insight, good sense, judgment, generally accepted beliefs, like this is what wisdom is. Everybody knows what wisdom is, is what that means. Accumulated philosophical or scientific learning or knowledge. <clears throat> well, certainly some of that is contained in wisdom. I'd actually challenge that some of it's not. Uh, and that biblical wisdom, the wisdom tradition, uh, what the, the New Testament and the Old, talk, Old Testament talks about, about wisdom, uh, could be very helpful. Now, Dallas Willard, I mention him all the time when I'm talking, because I love that guy. Uh, he, he's passed away, but he was probably one of the better thinkers, best thinkers of recent Christianity and thinking. He said, and I've said this before, if you want to follow Jesus, it's very simple. Just do the next right thing. That's what it means. Just do the next right thing. And if you thought it was the right thing and it's not the wrong thing, that's o- and then it was the wrong thing, it's okay because you can go back to Jesus and say, I thought it was right. That's what I thought I was supposed to do, which is happening about 50 or 80 or whatever percent of the time anyway, right? And you come back to him and he goes, I know. Let's just go now and do the next right thing. And I want to show that the next right thing requires wisdom, okay? you got to have wisdom to know what the next right thing is. And so uh, I want to pull some things out of James, and, um, and I want to go back into the Old Testament quickly, and I want, there's four things I want you to know and two things I want you to do. 
I needed to make it simple for me this time uh, so I don't forget. Um, four things I want you to know. First, let's go back to the wisdom. They call it the wisdom tradition, the wisdom books, right? Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1 will explain some things. The first thing I want, well, let me read it, and then I'll tell you the first thing that I want you to know. Chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving, oh, make note of that, instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let, this is important, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. The first thing I want you to know about wisdom is that it's increasing, okay? You weren't born with any wisdom whatsoever. Even if you think you're wise, you didn't have any when you got started. You acquired it through experience and hearing from God. and You are where you are right now, but you didn't come up with it. I mean, you weren't born with it. I mean, you might have been born with certain faculties that are different than somebody else's faculties, and you can understand things better like than somebody else can, but that would be knowledge. There's no ceiling on wisdom. There's a ceiling on knowledge, right? I mean, knowledge, uh, if you're really smart and you know how to calculate, you got your math down, you, you, you know you have a book or a block of understanding that maybe is more than somebody else. Um, it, it, maybe you were more educated. Maybe you were born in the right place. You can add to your knowledge until you hit that ceiling. Everybody's got a knowledge ceiling, don't they? But what's cool about it is there's no ceiling for wisdom. Wisdom, if wisdom, and this is Charlie's definition, but I think it works for you, is doing the next right thing. If it's doing the next right thing, there's no ceiling. It even says there that um, giving prudence to those who are simple. Even if you're a person that your faculties aren't or you're fully developed or you're challenged, there is no ceiling on wisdom for you. You can keep adding and learning and growing. That's good news, by the way. That's good news. And I think the wisdom tradition here wants you to know that. Uh, later in Proverbs, talks about like wisdom is a woman, personified as a woman, who's calling out to you and saying, here's the wise thing to do. If you do it, your life will go good. And then by chapter 9, you also see a, a woman that's personified as sin who's calling and enticing you to come in. And there's these two voices that are coming at you. And wisdom says, here's how you do it. Here's what's good for you. Here's how to navigate the next situation. <clears throat> I wanted to establish that the wisdom tradition is about doing the next right thing, which is also what it is to follow Jesus. Okay? But it's good news that it's continually increasing. I hope that today you are wiser than you were last year. I, I, ho I hope that today you've added to your wisdom, to your learning, and that you navigate what you navigate differently right now than you did last year at this time. Because it's supposed to be increasing and adding. This is what happened for Jesus. That's the way it was for Jesus. It said that he increased in wisdom 
as a kid. Now, Jesus, you're talking about he was supposed to be the full package all at once. No, he embraced this. But that's how life worked. That's how he grew in wisdom. That's how he taught his disciples. That's why he released them, because it's supposed to be increasing. Number one, wisdom is increasing. Number two, wisdom is inclusive. Back to, back to uh, uh, James. And I love what he... Matter of fact, who memorized this last week? I put it in the bulletin, and we put next week's stuff in the bulletin so you can prepare this week for next week's message. But I put this as a memory verse last week. Who memorized it? I'll give you coffee at the Blue Spruce coffee shop. You guys suck. No, no, no. God, give me wisdom as I say this. Say this differently. Holy cow. So when we, that's a different religion. When we, uh, when we do this again, you jump up and say, I know it. Because if you were going to plant, if you had top 10 verses, if you only had 10 verses that you could know, I think this one might be one you'd want to have. James uh, 1.5. Now, I know some of you did memorize it, but you, you just would rather pay than get up in front of everybody and, for your coffee. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Okay, let's break it out here for a second. It's, it's inclusive. This is the second point. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's where this thing starts. Okay, there's a gap. This is in the context right now of trials, right? We were just talking about trials. And so this is still talking about trials. And you're in a trial. And if, if in the midst of that trial, there's this gap between what it is and the circumstance you're in and knowing what the next right thing to do is. Have you ever been in a situation that's too much for you? You can't figure it out. You'll say the wrong thing. You'll do the wrong thing. Or you've been doing that that way for so many years, you're not sure you can do it again. It could be a very acute situation right now. Or it could be an ambient, a chronic one that you've been struggling with for years. And it's just sort of a dull ache. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. There's a wisdom gap. A gap between the situation and what's needed in there and your ability or what you know how to do that situation or navigate that situation. So it says, if any of you lack, which every one of us is going to lack at some point, if any one of you are in that situation, okay, let's move to the rest of the verse. You should ask God who gives generously to what? To all. Okay, um, is it saying that uh, if any of you lack wisdom and uh, any of you believers, some commentators actually think since it says if any of you in the book was written to believers, that it means it's for believers. Um, that, that's, it's why he's saying if any of you means you personally. It's not just believers. It's talking to you. If any of you personally lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. It's inclusive. It's everybody. Think about the implications of that and why it has to be that way. If God only gave it to those who were trying the hardest or worrying the most or were sinning the least or who had their act together or asked in the right way, it says here, to, 
gives without finding fault. Which means if God is going to judge somebody on whether he's going to give wisdom to it or not, to you or not, he's probably going to give it to the person who does the right thing or thinks the right thing or is in the right camp. But it says all you. How about even people who don't know Jesus? It says all. Like maybe the Islamic guy or gal in Iran who finds themselves in a gap or the person who's challenged and their faculties uh, aren't fully developed. Ah, that person who finds themselves in, I don't know. I don't know what to do. That person too. Everybody that you think is on the outside right now, it's that person. It says he will give to all generously. That's such good news. All you need to have is a gap and an awareness that you don't know what to do. That's what you need here. Now there are people who usually know what to do in almost every situation. And, and they either really know what to do or they think they know what to do. Those who think they know what to do but don't really know what to do are basically unconsciously incompetent. They don't even know that they don't know. And so they don't even know that they're in a gap. And those people, this message isn't for you. But everybody else <laughs> who finds themselves either right now, last week, dozens of you stood up who were in the middle of a trial, or you have been in a trial, I'm pretty sure you will be in a trial, and find yourself in the gap. You get to ask. And God, it says right here, apparently God is listening to everybody's prayers. If you thought he, first of all, if you thought he only listens to the people who are in, like us, that's not what it's saying. He listens to everyone. And if you thought you're, if you're feeling too shamed, matter of fact, if you just partied too much last night and you, you're, you're, you're off the grid, you're worried about you. He listens to you without judgment. It says, without finding fault. Oh, all you need to have is a good trial and find yourself in need. And he listens to you. Matter of fact, I get the picture of a God who wants to hear and who wants to respond, who will respond to anybody who calls out to him. He's like a missionary God who will do whatever to reach out. And, and all you need is a trial. And, and uh, Lord, what do I do here? What do I do? That's good news. Is that hard to believe? Yeah, kind of. But that's the God we serve. That's the God we live for. Is that, in fact, he wants to hear from anybody. Matter of fact, I have a last year, we, uh, some of us were here when we did uh, the end of year um, uh, service and we put in an envelope what we would like to see happen in the next year. And uh, we opened it up. Some of you got those envelopes um, a couple weeks ago. I put three people that I wanted to know Jesus and one of them was a doctor friend of mine and he was working on my knee and I was telling him about this, telling him about the surgery I was in. He goes, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. What? I mean, I, my, my first thought was, well, that'll be interesting. Um, no, but then it went like, great, I'll take it. I'll take it. God's going to listen to you. Maybe even really him. I'll take it. It's inclusive. You've got to know wisdom is inclusive. That God wants to give everybody the opportunity to do the next right thing. The third thing, I've got to explode. I've got to expand here a little bit. 
because it's a different paradigm about wisdom, but I believe it's in James, and I believe it's critical to understanding the rest of the book, too. So it says, right, if any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But, verse 6, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Oh, there is a qualification here. Because if you believe and you don't doubt, or if you do doubt, it actually says, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect anything or receive anything from God. I've always read that. I'll tell you what the third thing is in a minute. Hold your notes for a sec. Um, I'm aware. So I've always thought, okay, you find yourself in this gap. You need some help. You go to God. You pray in that gap and say, I need wisdom on what the next thing to do is. He tells you, okay, I go and I do it. Only thing is, i got to make sure that I don't doubt that it was from Him. Because if I doubt it was from Him, it's going to be thrown into everything else, I think. And next thing you know, I'm going to be tossed. I need to do it. Um, I need to believe that it was from Him, and it will happen and my life will go good. Mm, I don't think that's the way to understand this, actually. I don't think that is the process uh, for acquiring wisdom. There's something else here. And I want to tell you, write it in your notes, that wisdom is relational. Okay? Wisdom is relational. And it hangs on what it means here to believe. Now, James chapter 3, which I'm going to go there real quick, shows you what, and tells you some things about wisdom and what it looks like. and helps us understand what we just read back there. Okay? It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? I'm in verse 13. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, that's in quotation marks, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. Well, first of all, you just found out right there that the wisdom that God gives is, comes down from heaven, by the way. Did you hear that? That's where the location of it. But the wisdom that's from the world and earthly is unspiritual and demonic, it says. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. That might give you some insight into what it was saying back in verse 1. If you do this and you ask and you receive and you believe and not doubt, well, what would happen if you asked for wisdom from God and your motive wasn't right? That's talking about the motive for wisdom. Earthly motive for wisdom comes from what? It says envy, and actually other translations translate that bitterness, bitter envy. Somebody has done something to you. You have a wound or injury, or it says you have selfish ambition. Both of these do what? Well, first of all, if you're asking God and He gives, and then that's your motive, it's going to filter in to everything else you think, and pretty soon you're going to be tossed around. And that's what it means there, to be tossed around in every way, and you're uh, floundering. But those are relational terms. It's my response to a relationship, or it's my desire to be better than you and over you achieve something. That's relational. And then if you go to verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, 
submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Everything that was stated about wisdom from up above is a relational outcome. Everything in that list is how it's going to look like horizontally. Everything that you get vertically from God, is, if that's wisdom about doing the next right thing, is going to look relationally whole. It's going to bring things together. It's going to bring reconciliation. It's going to bring completeness. That's what wisdom from up above is going to do. Everything about wisdom is contained or framed in relationship right here. So bring that back to chapter 1, okay, where he says, Ask, and God who gives generously without finding fault, it will be given. But when you ask, you've got to believe. That is the word pastuo, which is actually translated everywhere else, faith. I think what they did is translate it believe because uh, the word here is doubt, and they wanted to give you the opposite of doubt, which is certainty, which sounds like belief. It's more operable if you think of faith right here, Okay? The only thing necessary is that you have faith and don't doubt. Okay, what about faith? It's not that you would go in this system. You find yourself in a gap. You need to know what the next thing is. You go to God and say, God, I need wisdom here. He gives it to you. And then in faith, you do what? You go do it. God doesn't give you anything where he doesn't give himself along with it. Wisdom is a walk. It's not just knowing the next thing. It's realizing that the one who gave you the next thing wants to go with you into the next thing. It's critical to understanding that here. Okay? Wisdom is relational. It's not just a carrot that's hung out in front of you. Something that would make your life go better. God is saying, I want to go with you in it. Every gap you're in is an invitation to walk with God. He is never separate from his word. He didn't just give you a word and now you go do it. He says, I'm happy to give it to you. Now this is probably why so many people all ask and then uh, maybe even get some insight because he gave it to them, but they don't want to follow Jesus in it. And it just gets filtered into everything else they think and the motives that they have, and, again, they flounder in that. That's probably why uh, James wrote that this is what happens when you doubt. But the thing is, it's not separate from him. You walk with him. That's a critical shift to wisdom. Now let me just drill this a little bit further in. Okay, so back in the Old Testament, we just had a woman who cries out and says, this is the smart thing to do. This is the wise thing to do. If you do it, your life will go well, right? Well, now you get to the New Testament. James is writing this. And Paul, I think, gives you the, gives you the key to unlocking this. In 1 in Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, the wisdom of God is Christ. That blows everything uh, up and changes everything. Wisdom was something you got, a morsel that you needed to go into the equation and do it. What was personified as a woman is now embodied in Christ. Everything 
we say this uh, everywhere around here. We keep the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. Because everything is about Jesus. This is a Jesus church. You need to read James and understand and see Jesus all the way through. I think you're in danger if you don't. If you go straight to James without Jesus, which James didn't intend you to do, you're going to hear, do this, don't do that. A bunch of rules. And us practical people love that because we were just waiting for somebody to tell us what to do. Because we just wanted to know what to do so I could do the next thing. But it's with Jesus. Let the weight of that land. Right here in the middle of your trial, right here in the gap, and you just kind of needed an answer, Jesus not only says, I'll give you wisdom and I'll go with you. Critical. Critical shift. I just experienced this uh, a couple weeks ago, back to the hospital. So on uh, December 27th, I had weight loss surgery, actually. And I had complications from that. Actually, six months earlier, um, my whole adult life, I've been in this crazy cycle, and I'm always fighting, trying to get this right. And um, one of the challenges I've had is that I've succeeded at most things I've tried. And uh, no matter how hard I pushed, no matter how hard I tried, I'm in this crazy cycle, and, and, uh, um, and I'm just crying out to God in the gap. And uh, um, I've, I felt impressed that, well, maybe your pride's in the way. What do you mean? I mean, I'm used to, I got myself into this. I should get myself out of this, right? That's what I've thought. Well, what would it be like if you surrendered your pride into this thing? All right, Lord, whatever it is. And uh, these doors started to open up that this would be a good solution for me. And I have what's called a sleeve gastrectomy. It's not a bypass, but you medical people can tell everybody else about that or whatever. But it's like when they take a big part of your stomach off and now it's like a sleeve and, and uh, very drastic. And I go, Lord, really? Is it that got to be that drastic? Yeah, it's got to be that drastic. For life change, all right, I'll embrace that. So that brought me up to December 27 when I had this surgery. It's supposed to be the, uh, like the, the safest uh, surgery, uh, m- most unlikely, the same as the gallbladder as far as complications. I remember saying that in my growth group to the doctors. I got a bunch of doctors in my growth group, and they go, well, that's not always how it works. <laughs> Stupid prophecy is what that was. <laughs> Don't do that again. Yeah, well, so that's not always how it works. Well, that's not how it works. I had internal bleeding. And uh, I guess I was bleeding quite a lot, and they had to go back in and do another surgery and uh, remove all that and patch up some stuff that was bleeding. And... and uh, uh, apparently, when blood goes into your digestive tract, your, digest- your intestines don't like that. And uh, mine stopped. Had a, something called an elios, ileos, whatever that is. Uh, don't correct me right now. And, uh, uh, but it stopped. And so I got this tube in my nose, sucking everything out of my stomach so that it, th- that surgery takes. And um, an IV. And a clock from hell on the wall. Just going like this. Click, click. It's as if Chinese people were dropping water on my forehead. And they tell me, it'll change sometime. It's going to stop. It's going to come back. Yeah, when's that? Oh, it'll be a day or two, maybe three. Could be like a few days. I don't know. 
um, but we don't know. Well, how do you make it get going? It's not working. My digestion, you know, my small intestine's not working. And, um, uh, well, it'll start day, click after click, and day after day. I actually told my surgeon later, you've got to get rid of the clock. You've got to get rid of the clock. It's a bad thing. And uh, he said, well, we put it up there so that you don't lose track of your days and where you are in them. It's supposed to be good. And I said, it might be, but it didn't feel good. So I, now it's day after day after day, and now it's a week later. And they're starting to go, well, we don't know. I guess this is a long one. Tube in my nose and everything. Who do you want to walk in your room right then? Who do you want to walk in your room? You want Kathy Gregg to, to walk in a room. Kathy right here is our lead elder and the champion in this church for prayer. Her heartbeat is prayer. She comes walking, she drives down to junction, she comes walking into my room and she says, can I pray for you? This is Charlie's speedy version. And um, sure, that would be good. This is who I want to be here. <clears throat> so she sits next to the bed, and uh, I'm drained at this point. Just had an IV, that's all. And, and uh, no water, just ice cubes for a week. And uh, uh, she, she prays, uh, Holy Spirit, give us wisdom right now on how to pray. And then she starts praying um, for my healing. And then she stops. Now, okay, disclaimer here. I know this is weird. So you can just pitch this part if it sounds like Carbondale too much to you. I don't care. This is my story. I'm sticking to it. So she goes, stop. Have you ever thought about asking your intestines to forgive you? And so, I did not say this out loud, but inside, it was going, no, are you kidding? My, my intestines aren't thinking, and my intestines don't have a voice, and they can't hear, and I'm the sentient part of this thing up here, whatever this is, my, my uh, soul and my mind, that's up here, this is just my body down here, that's all going through my mind. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, is the first thing I thought of. And, uh, and then she says, well, you might want to think about that, and it occurs to me, we did just ask for wisdom, and I was just working on wisdom here, uh, thinking about that. Well, what would that would look like? And she goes, maybe you ought to think about doing that uh, tonight or whatever after I leave. And I go, well, I'm not going anywhere. Help me out with that. And, and so uh, she, she helps me, gives me sort of a thing, and I said, okay, this, I got it. Uh, you can talk to me afterwards. Email me, I guess. Um, it was like, Lord, help me talk to my intestines. There's so much material here, I can't believe it. And I, I go, intestines, I am sorry for how I've treated you over the last adult life. And uh, I apologize to you for not being able to trust me. And I'm, it's the weirdest thing. This thing kind of came over me. I mean, it's, it's not like words started coming out of my stomach. But there was this feeling like of a peace that came over me, and I went straight into the deepest sleep, apparently. And, and Kathy went over and was praying. I don't know how long this lasted. And I woke up not even realizing that I had really been asleep, and I heard very clearly, Charlotte, this is from the Lord. I don't think from my intestines. <laughs> the Lord said, 
You've been doing all the talking and you need to start listening. Everything, this is weird, everything's relational, isn't it? Wow, everything. It's not just relational. Okay, loving God and loving people. If you do the Shema, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Apparently, you got to do that too. And God, in His wisdom from up above, through the help of a friend, was coaching me how to make it right with myself. Weird. You can drop that part if that's too weird for you. I don't care. So Kathy leaves, and everything started to work. And I'm telling you, I mean, I'm hooping and hollering in the hospital. When everything starts to work, I won't go into detail anymore. But the nurses and the orderlies, they're like, oh, yeah, it's going good over in 212. Woo-hoo! Things are working. Oh, I don't know, the wisdom up above, maybe that's why you're not supposed to doubt and you're supposed to do, but God was walking with me through it. I know Him in a greater way. He spoke to me something that was more than just making my intestines work. He spoke to me something I can live in right now and I can add to what I was doing because uh, wisdom increases. I was glad to have him answer and I can walk with him in a greater way now. Oh, that's pretty cool. God, God, God wants to extend that to you because he wants to be in relationship with you about whatever it is. It's about walking with him in it. Right? Good word. James wants you to understand that it was relationship, that believing is a walk, not a set of beliefs. Critical point. Critical point. I'll give you the fourth thing real quick because you've got to add it to what you know about wisdom. That wisdom is intentional. Look at how the book ends, or the uh, discussion on wisdom at the end of three when James is exploding what it looks like. We read it already in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Get what's happening. You are in the gap. You need wisdom. You cry out. He gives you uh, insight. And he says, let's us go together. You go into it with him. The circumstance changes, or the very least relationship changes, because it's all about relationship. You know him in a greater way. And what happens? You're a peacemaker who has sown into this and a harvest of righteousness. It's really interesting that what is going on here actually has impact on here. And you didn't even know that. Because when wisdom comes from up above, he brings the kingdom with that. And as the kingdom comes, things shift. Remember Jesus said, pray. That up there would come down here when he taught us to pray. Right? So, you're in your circumstance. You pray. He gives. You walk. Somehow or other, he uses you, it, that, to change something you haven't even thought of. Or a shift, even in the environment around you. Now you're a person who's different than you were. And now relationship starts to come to fruition and whole instead of cutting, dividing, and declining. And the kingdom moves. I wanted you to get that. Because James wants you to understand that. And I think as you read the rest of James, you've got to know about Godly, heavenly wisdom. The main thing is that it's relational. Right? So I told you you got to do two things. Four things I wanted you to know and two things I wanted you to do. It's really simple, right? When it talks about the humility 
of wisdom. In the middle of that gap, that is what's required, right? To say, I need something from you. And it's releasing all that you have been trying to do. And everything, your best plans and your best guesses and all of the other advice that everybody gave you. And it's what, we use this metaphor here all the time, it's releasing. What I'm asking you to do is so simple. It's the main thing. Is you release it. And then you do what? And then you receive. You can't receive with your fists clenched. You can only receive if you release it. I don't know, Lord. I don't know what the next best thing to do is. I don't know what I should do. And if wisdom is action, you have to release this first. Turn your palms up and receive. That's exactly what Jesus did. When we do communion, we're remembering this very thing he did. It always comes to me, this is always the one when I get to the end of this, where Jesus is now agonizing over what he must do. And what does he say? Is there, clenched fist, is there any way this cup could pass from me? Is there any way? I bet he said it more than once. How many times did he say it? Oh, as many times as he needed to. Is there any way? Not my will. That's it. Not my will. But yours be done. That's what he did. That's what he did. And as you take communion, you are basically thanking him for doing that. Now right now what I'd like you to do, just close your eyes, put your fists out there, and I want to picture whatever you're holding. Maybe it is that um, chronic, or not chronic, but really acute, difficult situation. You don't know what to do. You don't know what decision to make. Uh, you don't know what, how to say what it is you're supposed to say. Um, you don't know how you're going to get through this painful thing. You've been trying as hard as you can, and you're just sort of worn out. Worrying hasn't got you where you want. Whatever you're, it is, or, or maybe it's the other side of that, that something that's been nagging, gnawing, you've been pushing it out, trying to live your life because you can't do anything about it. What you said that really hurt somebody or what somebody said to you, the trauma that you had, I don't know. Uh, but whatever it is that, that's back there, you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you right now what it is. Where's the gap? So whatever you're holding on to, just open your hands and drop it to the floor right now. And turn them up to receive. As you take communion, just head back to your seat and then sit there with palms up for whatever he has for you.